This is Dr. Michael Greenberg, host of Second Opinion, a new show dedicated to you, our listeners, especially the ones who talk back to the radio and would really like a chance to express your thoughts on the air. We've been filling the airwaves with cutting-edge medical programming, and we know that not only our guests, but you, our listeners, have insights you can share with your colleagues. Reach MDXM 157 wants to get a second opinion from you. Oh, the greatest problems facing healthcare today? The government reduces Medicare payments, and my overhead continues to grow. My own medical care? I get my checkups in the doctor's lounge. I'm too busy to schedule a physical. Second Opinion is a new regular feature on Reach MDXM, dedicated to our listeners who have something to say, listeners like you. We make pharmaceutical reps sign up for assigned times. We don't want six or seven to show up at once and fill the waiting room seats that our patients need. You listen to our hosts and guests. Now it's your turn. Write to us at secondopinion at reachmd.com. We'll keep the topics interesting. You keep the insights coming. We want a second opinion. It's time to hear what you have to say. Coming up next, focus on medical education, part of this month's featured series on ReachMD XM157. What does the latest research reveal about palliative and hospice care in the medical and nursing curricula? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Judith A. Pace. Dr. Pace is the director of the Cancer Pain Program in the Division of Hematology Oncology at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Pace, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. What is the history of palliative and hospice care in the nursing and medical curricula? Formerly, it didn't exist in either nursing or medical school curricula. And now it's beginning to be introduced, but in most medical schools and nursing schools, it's siloed. In other words, it's being taught separately to each discipline. Our program is integrating both medical school education with nursing school as well as with other health professionals so they can learn as they should be practicing together. Tell us about your research in this regard. The research is occurring at Rush University and the College of Medicine, College of Nursing, and the College of Health Professionals works together to provide online programs as well as interactive coursework for medical students, nursing students, and chaplains, therapists, and others. And how long has the research been going on? This has been going on for almost two years now. And what are the preliminary findings? We have had over 150 students participate in the course. They learn about care of people with life-threatening diseases. And they've learned symptom management, communication, issues about caring for the dying, and We've had amazing improvements in their knowledge and their attitudes about the care of people with life-threatening diseases. And how are you measuring these outcomes? We're measuring this using knowledge and attitude surveys that are being given prior to participation and then at different time points after completing the course. What feedback are you receiving from the students and the faculty members? The feedback has been very positive. In addition to new information gained about managing pain, shortness of breath, nausea, and other symptoms that are common, the students have truly gained an awareness for the need for compassionate communication. In other words, how difficult it is to break bad news to a patient 
and a family member and strategies for providing this in the most empathic manner. Tell us what you teach in that regard to a a brand new medical student, how to break the bad news. So we have a simulation. So this is a dummy, if you will, who is set up in a laboratory. And this is not a dumb dummy. This is a pretty sophisticated simulation where the blood pressure, the heart rate, the other vital signs are displayed, and the individual actually talks. And we have a scenario of an individual who goes through the course of having lung cancer. And the medical students and the nursing students work together to tell this individual that they have this diagnosis and to work with the family members and to help the individual manage their pain and to assist in making decisions about preferences at the end of life. What other educational materials are you using in the research? We have the materials online so that the students read current literature, they access other websites with pertinent information, and they have discussion boards where they are asked to respond to cases and then they interact and sometimes support one another and sometimes edit each other's responses so that at the end they have the best treatment plan possible for that particular case. And there are several modules. One is pain. That's the one I'm the most interested in. But there's also modules associated with communication and care at the end of life and other aspects of good palliative care. How do you teach the students about the family dynamics piece? Much of that comes out in the simulation exercise where there is typically a wife and a child at the bedside interacting with the patient. The wife might be angry because the patient was smoking, for example, for most of their life. And so having the student actually do a brief act, if you will, or session with the patient and family. And then the group of six or eight of us, the instructors as well as the other students, will critique how that conversation went, the positive aspects of the conversation, as well as the kinds of things that might be phrased a little bit differently to be supportive to the patient and the family. How were these courses designed? So we have a panel of experts who worked together to develop the content. It was then critiqued by outside consultants. Edits were made. And now as we present the course, we modify it based upon the feedback that we receive from the students. How much longer will the research continue? We have several more years on this grant. And who's funding it? This is from the National Cancer Institute. Dr. Pace, you've traveled extensively within the People's Republic of China, Indonesia, Taiwan, and Japan to educate healthcare professionals about cancer pain relief. Tell us about your work abroad. Oh, I'd love to. In addition to those countries, I recently returned from Tanzania, where I was working with three other colleagues of mine from around the United States, teaching nurses about end-of-life care. In the Tanzania program, we were using a program called LNEC, End of Life Nursing Education Consortium. That program includes nine modules that include essential information about end of life care for nurses. We modified this, obviously, to meet the needs of nurses who are working in a very different environment from what we do here in the United States. 
Not only is healthcare very different, but the kinds of illnesses that patients present with are very different. For example, in, in Tanzania, many people do not live long enough to develop the kinds of cancers that we see here in the United States. The average lifespan there is about 50. But HIV is a very common disease, and unfortunately, malaria is another illness that's very prevalent. And so we had to modify some of the course content to meet the needs of the nurses there. How has your travel affected the way you approach your work in the States? Traveling to other countries really informs us. I think this is true for anybody who has the opportunity to see the world through the eyes of a different nation, different cultures. It's very true in healthcare. So traveling to China, for example, helped me to see that problems related to opioid use, drugs like morphine and codeine, many of the barriers were related to history. Traveling to Indonesia helped me to see that some of the barriers were related to poverty and at times misunderstandings about religious barriers. So each country has its own history and its own obstacles related to good pain control. That helps me to understand from a different viewpoint where the barriers that we face here in the United States might originate. What are our barriers? Well, in the United States, we typically have barriers related to healthcare professionals. In other words, most of us didn't have a lot of education about pain in our basic training, and we have a lot of fears about addiction. The patients come to us with barriers, and that's not to blame the victim, but to be aware of where the obstacles lie for them and for their family members. So they see a lot of media attention about addiction, and so patients are very afraid that they're going to become addicted. And then the system presents barriers. Access to these medications is very difficult, and I've not seen these barriers as profound as I have in the last few years. Pharmacies are really reluctant to carry drugs like morphine, oxycodone, and others. And so patients oftentimes are struggling with trying to just obtain the medicines that they need. And why is that? It often comes down to fears of addiction. The pharmacies are fearful that the drugs are going to be abused or diverted. And so patients are faced with not being prescribed adequate amounts of drug, having difficulties obtaining the drug, and then oftentimes their own biases about whether they're going to become addicted to the medicine. So when they do get the drug, they take less than what's been ordered. Does your research address these access issues, in other words, how to handle the barriers? In our education, we certainly address these barriers so that trainees are aware of where the obstacles are. It requires education and careful counseling with patients so that they understand that the risks of addiction are really quite limited if they don't have any prior history of addiction in their past or in their family. Dr. Pace, thank you for joining us to discuss your research regarding palliative and hospice care in the medical and nursing curricula. My pleasure. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening. 
Tune in each hour for the ReachMD feature series, Focus on Medical Education. We thank you for listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. This is Dr. Sherwin Ho. My guest this week is Dr. William Bryan, team physician with the Houston Astros for over 20 years. We'll be discussing Little League pitching injuries. This is Susan Dolan. Join me this week when my guest will be Dr. David Feldman, Assistant Professor of Counseling Psychology at Santa Clara University, discussing his research on hope. And this is Dr. Mark Nolan Hill. This week we will be speaking with Dr. William Schaffner, Professor and Chair of Preventive Medicine at Vanderbilt University, and Dr. Michael Oxman, Professor of Medicine and Pathology at the University of California, San Diego. We will be talking about the vaccine for adult shingles. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157, where we change topics every 15 minutes. For our complete weekly guest and program guide, visit us at ReachMD.com.